Well, good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you all. Thank you, thank you. Just don't give me a complex here. I'm secure, it's okay. I'm happy to see you anyway. Good. Well, I'm excited this morning, this afternoon. Um, we want to start a new series that the Holy Spirit has uh, given us. Uh, Ash and I, we've been just praying and talking and thinking for a little while, and the Holy Spirit has really been speaking to us probably for most of this year, actually, about uh, communion, taking communion together and, and the power, the benefit, the value, the strength, uh, and the meaning of communion. So we're trying to um, do communion more regularly, aiming to get it, actually to do it every, every once a day, uh, to celebrate that and to engage with God as an act of worship together. We're working on that, but we wanted to just talk a little bit uh, over the next few weeks about communion, what otherwise would be known as the Lord's Supper, that which was introduced by Jesus just before he went to the cross. And we're really excited about what God's gonna bring out in that, in the facets of his salvation, of all that he's won for us, all that he's done for us. And, um, and we get to celebrate that goodness. So uh, we're gonna look at that five different facets of communion. I'm gonna start today as communion as Passover and remembrance. We wanna look at communion as covenant and forgiveness. We wanna look at communion as life and hope for the future. We wanna look at communion as fellowship with and feeding on Christ and communion as loyalty and unity. And so those are the sort of roadmap of, when, of how we're gonna sort of unpack this over the next few weeks. And uh, as I'm sort of going today, we'll see that the, as we look at communion as Passover and remembrance, it'll actually unpack all the themes and give some signposts about where we're gonna be going for this next season. And we, we're gonna celebrate communion together afterwards as part of our ministry time, okay? So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Where, uh, I'm excited about unpacking some revelation this morning, this afternoon about, um, about Passover and about remembering. And we're gonna read a, a few verses in Luke chapter 22, and then we're gonna go to uh, Exodus 12, and then we're gonna come back to Luke 22, 22 at the end, okay? So I wanna start in verse seven, just a bit of context. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to give his life as a ransom for many. He's about to fulfill his purpose and his mission upon the earth. It's the moment that his whole life has been building towards. The moment his ministry has been focused on for all of his ministry, focusing on going to the cross, and we're gonna unpack that. But look at uh, Luke chapter 22, verse seven, we'll start here. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Jump down to verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles or the disciples, the 12 with him, the sent ones. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You know, for us, for many of us, as we come to do communion, 
It's very easy just to kind of to think about the Lord's Supper. It's called the Lord's Supper uh, all through history or communion. This is really the introduction that Jesus gave. It's the institution that Jesus gave right before he was, uh, went to the cross. And it's very easy to come a bit glibly, a bit easily, a bit without really understanding the gravity and the depth of, of what we're celebrating as a, as a community together when we take communion. It's very easy to think of it as a rite or a passage without any power or meaning. And, I, and our, my intention, our intention over this next series is to actually unpack the power and the glory and the goodness and the life that there is in taking communion together. So I'm excited about that. Jesus instituted this communion the night before he was going to the cross He's got his best friends all around him, his ministry partners. The last three years, he's been with them. He's been talking for at least half his ministry about this moment, about going to the cross. And they haven't really understood what on earth he's talking about. They're feeling full of fear, no doubt, feeling a little bit not sure what's going on and not able to understand. But they know that there's this Passover that's here. And, and it's, a, it's a Jewish festival, it's an annual festival, one of three annual festivals that God commanded through the law of Moses that the whole of Israel should celebrate together. And, and so Jesus, he's coming to celebrate the Passover and it's really clear in his mind in verse 15 and 16 of, John, of Luke 22, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. It's been the moment I've, I've been looking forward to. This is a moment that I'm, I'm, I'm excited about. He says, I've desired it before I suffer because I know it's the moment that I come into the suffering of, of what I've come here for. And then he goes on to say this, I tell you, I will, not eat, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Clearly, Jesus thought as he's instituting this meal that he is fulfilling Passover. Why Passover? What is Jesus getting at here? Why, why is, what's the reference to Passover? Why is he talking about this? So I want you to, to answer that question. We have to turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, this is the final moment of, uh, of Israel as they've been in slavery in Egypt. Yeah, if you, those of you that would know in Genesis, uh, God sends Joseph and then sends all of the Israelites, his brothers, to Jacob to help them get through a famine. Jacob has, uh, sorry, Joseph, Joseph has great uh, favor with Pharaoh. But 430 years later, when this story is, they are no longer the Israelites, no longer favored by Pharaoh, but actually now slaves, making having to make brick for the Egyptians without straw without a supply and, and, uh, and in slavery and in bound. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, will not let them go. And so this story that we're about to read is just so full of meaning for us as we read through it. So I'm going to take a little time just to read through a good portion of this scripture. Uh, it's good to read scripture publicly anyway, but it's good also to get the context of, where, of what Jesus is talking about. So when Jesus says, I've eagerly eaten, eat, waited to eat, eat this Passover, when he's saying this Passover will be fulfilled in the kingdom of God, he's talking about this moment that we're about to read. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, 
every man shall take a lamb according to the father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Just to pause for a minute, it's really clear that there's meant to be enough for everybody. We'll come back to that. Your, verse five, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven, you shall remove leaven, which is yeast, out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person will be cut off from Israel. Scroll down to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Verse 28, then the people of Israel went and did so, and the law, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. What an amazing passage of Scripture. I love just reading Scripture. Let me just quickly summarize that for you and before we look at how Jesus has fulfilled this. So uh, they were to take a one-year-old male lamb without blemish on the 10th month of Abib. They were to keep that for four days and then they were to take that lamb all together at twilight and slaughter it, the whole community slaughtering that, those lambs at the same time. Take some of the blood with hyssop, put it on the doorposts, put it over the lintel of the door of the house they were going to be in and stay in the house. They were to take the, the lamb, eat the, eat the, roast the lamb in the fire Eat the lamb roasted with bitter herbs and bread without any yeast in it. And then this is what God was going to do. God was going to do this. He was going to strike every firstborn male of Egypt, both man and beast. And he was going to execute judgments on all the gods of Israel. 
and the, and the blood on the door would save Israel from the destroyer angel. The blood was assigned to them when the destroyer passed over the house. He would see the blood and they wouldn't be destroyed and it was protection for them. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 3 commands that the, as part of the law that the feast would be celebrated every year for this very purpose, to remember the day Israel came out of Egypt. And they were to celebrate it in accordance with those rules and requirements. The purpose of, the, the, there was a moment, the actual Passover itself, which was deliverance and freedom, and then there was a remembrance that was to come of the day of when God set them free. And the purpose of the regular remembering was to keep reminding themselves and tuned in that God is a big, strong God, and he rescued them and set them free, saved them from the power of Egypt. And so the Passover was fulfilled in Egypt through Moses, that first Passover, what, what God said to the Israelites, they did, and God moved in, and they got set free. And actually, what happened was Pharaoh finally let them go. They finally moved out of freedom, out of slavery, and they started to move towards the promised land. You can read in Joshua 4 and 5, the book of Joshua 4 and 5, when Joshua gets to the, to the promised land and he crosses the Jordan River, the very first thing that they do as the people of Israel when they're in the promised land is they circumcise everybody, which is to make reestablish the covenant that God had with the people. And then they took Passover together before they went to the battle and destroyed Jericho. The Passover was celebrated in the promised land through Joshua. And now Jesus comes along and says, I'm taking this Passover and this moment of Passover, I am going to fulfill it, not in Israel, not in the promised land, but in the kingdom of God. I'm gonna fulfill it in the kingdom of God. And uh, he, in um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse one, it says this, the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So first the natural, then the spiritual. What, what uh, the writer of the Hebrews is saying is that the, 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 the Passover meal was symbolic. It was a moment that was etched into the, into the history of Israel. It was something to celebrate, but it pointed to a greater reality. The pointing from the greater reality wasn't the blood of bulls, uh, sorry, of lambs and people getting set free from Egypt. The point of the reality was Jesus coming and what he was about to do. And I believe that the Passover was fulfilled by Jesus going to the cross. And so there's so much to unpack in, in, in symbolism of what the Passover means. And so this is, this is when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. <clears throat> Jesus gave himself under the will of the Father to be sacrificed as a sacrificial lamb for us. It wasn't, it wasn't Jesus' just his idea to appease the Father's wrath. It was the Father out of his love sent his only Son. And Jesus came as the Lamb of God. John Baptist, when he first sees Jesus, he goes, points out and he goes, look, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb of God. Jesus came as the Lamb of God. He became our true Passover Lamb, the Lamb that was slain in Passover, fully fulfilled in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's the spotless one. So the lamb had to be spotless. But Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of integrity, without sin in any shape or form. 
No, no sin in his actions, no sin in his uh, um, speech, and no sin in his thought life. Perfect. Without spot, without blemish. You know, Jesus in, John, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, the law says don't do this, that, or the other. But I tell you, even if you think those things, you've committed sin. Therefore, Jesus, in his perfection, didn't even think sinful thoughts. But he came as the perfect sacrificial lamb for us. Why is that important? Well, God had created us, created Adam and Eve for purpose. And you could say that Adam and Eve owed God a debt. The life that God had created them for, the purpose that God had created them for, Adam and Eve owed God, but because Adam and Eve fell short and now sin was dwelling on the inside of each one of us, there was no way that we could live the perfect life and fulfill the purpose that God had for each one of us, right? So Jesus had to come. God had to step into the situation and come in the human form. The, the God who had been uh, the Word of God, the eternal Son, stepped into our world, born as a, 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 bird, a, a baby, Virgin Mary, lived the life that we could not live, a perfect life. It's important that he lived a perfect life because his perfect life on the cross became yours and my perfect life. And so when the Father, you, so Jesus... Uh, lived, God as a human lived the perfect life that man owed God, but that man could never fulfill because we were full of sin. But Jesus came to be, to live that perfect life, that your life and my life would stand before him spotless and holy and blameless and without reproach because of Jesus's life credited to our account. And the Passover lamb, Jesus was slain as the Passover lamb, spotless, but yet slain for the purpose of this, for the purpose of covering, and for the purpose of protection, and for the purpose of forgiveness, and for the purpose of healing. He was, he, you know, he, just like the Israelites had to put the blood with hyssop on the doorposts and stay in the house. Jesus has become our covering, that our lives have been covered by the blood of Jesus. When we're celebrating communion, what we're celebrating first and foremost is the Passover lamb has been slain and we are now living under the new covenant of God's goodness and God's grace, full of his righteousness, full of his joy and no longer under sin and condemnation, but free. Ah, oh, it's glorious. He was spotless, Slain for us, for our forgiveness. There's no shedding, there's no, the, law, the law says there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. His blood set us free, it's covered us. Secondly, the lamb that was slain it had to be roasted in the fire. Well, why in the fire? And Duncan really helped me with this, and, 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 and you can read it in his book. But that fire, the fire of, of God, is, is the extremity of his love for us. It's the unending purity of his love for us. And so Jesus, what, what I believe is in the Passover lamb, that Passover lamb roasted is reflective of the fact that on the cross, Jesus, in a sense, is roasted by the fire of God's perfect love, which is his wrath against sin. And so on the cross, Jesus is, the fire of God comes upon him, not and, and what that fire is, is the judgment and the wrath for sin that should have been ours, but God has laid it upon him. And he's literally been roasted on the cross in the fire of God's love to take away the wrath of sin against us. What does it mean for us? Jesus is the true Passover lamb. First and foremost, it means that we're covered from judgment. 
when we celebrate the communion, what we're celebrating is that we are free from judgment. We are not under condemnation anymore. We've been set free by the blood of Jesus. And the punishment that was due to us has no longer been, is no longer on us, but has become on him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this. He who knew no sin became sin. It wasn't just that he, you know, that, was, that sin was laid upon him. No, he became sin, the very object of God's wrath. He took it on himself to such an extent that when you looked at Jesus on the cross, he and sin were one with each other. And that sin, all the sin of all humanity taken on the cross and punished and dealt with right there so that there's no judgment to, to be paid. There's no further payment required because Jesus took it all upon himself. And there's this great divine exchange that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? So that we might become not righteous, but the righteousness of God. Talk about mind-blowing. That when we're taking communion, what we're saying is we're reminding ourselves that we stand before him holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Free from sin. It's our forgiveness, all of our sin, all of our debt being paid. The other thing about the lamb is that it wasn't just that they had to sacrifice the lamb, they had to eat the lamb because the lamb to be eaten, they were about to go on a journey that required sustenance and nourishment. And so they eat the lamb full and then they go out on their journey and the, 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 the Passover lamb, Jesus is the Passover lamb and why we eat the bread is that it's actually nourishment and life to us. You know, I don't believe that as some, as some of the Catholic church would preach that, that, the, that, that the bread actually becomes Jesus' body but I do believe that when we, when we partake of the, of the bread uh, symbolic of Jesus' body what, we're, what is being released to us is in the spirit is life. And I, when I say life I'm not just meaning the opposite of death I mean purpose and provision and joy and peace and energy and mission and righteousness and purity and holiness it's the life of Christ the substance of Christ being indwelt and and being taken in and nourishing our bodies And then the, th the third thing I think is just important to pull out of this uh, Passover lamb is that they were to stay in the house, having eaten it, having put the blood on the doors. Don't go anywhere else. Stay in the house until further instructions. Because a destroyer was passing over. And so to me, that is also a, a, a call to stay in Christ Jesus. Not to follow the law, not to think about our own ability, not to think that we can somehow please God. No, we stay in Christ Jesus. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Stay in the house of Christ. Abide in Christ. Don't go anywhere else because that is where life is. He's our Passover lamb that's overcome, that's taken away all of our judgment and our punishment. Secondly, Jesus has become our true bread. You know, that the unleavened bread that we're, they were to eat as part of the Passover, the bread that we, that we take uh, here is the, the symbolic of Jesus becoming the true bread of heaven. Jesus said, John 6, that he is the bread of heaven who gives his life for the world. And, and it's important that it was unleavened because Jesus, as I've just outlined, he was the spotless lamb, but the leaven actually means it's symbolic of evil. It's symbolic of being tainted with the world. Jesus untainted with the world without sin 
and then the bitter herbs is the suffering. What does that mean for us? It means that, uh, that we have freedom from the indwelling sin. Because here's the problem with Adam and Eve. When, we, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that sin became indwelling within them. It became part of their identity. It became part of who they are. For each one of us in all of humanity, there's this problem that we have called the flesh or sin that's on the inside of us, that's indwelling in us, that even if we want to do the right thing, we can't do the right thing because there's always leaven in the way. But Jesus comes as the unleavened, as the unleavened bread and he makes us into unleavened bread. In fact, one, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8, we really are unleavened. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. What's the old? The old sin nature has passed away. And we are now new, new creations. Not the un- and then Paul goes on to say, don't eat of the old leaven of malice and evil, but eat the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus' death is our death. The purpose of us dying is because, there's, because of the power of sin on the inside of us had to be put to death. So that that which was indwelling and had power over us no longer had power over us. And we could get free and we could get set free. As we eat of the, as we eat of the unleavened bread, we're declaring we are free from sin. Our, our fundamental nature has changed. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now slaves to righteousness. We've gone from having a battle with sin that we could not win because every time we wanted to do the right thing, sin would pop up and cause us to do something else to a battle because we're full of the Holy Spirit and the righteousness of Christ to a battle that we cannot lose. That doesn't mean to say that we lose some little things along the way. Doesn't mean to say that we don't struggle with sin, but the fundamental nature of you and I that we celebrate with communion, the fundamental nature is your nature is shifted And that you are no longer your old person, but you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Come on. Free from sin. Free from the law. Free from judgment. Free from condemnation. Free to be all that God has made you to be. And then part of that bread is, again, it's the bitter herbs, I should say, is is the suffering. You know, Jesus, sorry, Paul says in Romans 8, you know, that we we would enjoy Glory of God if we share in his sufferings. The Passover, the eating the bitter herbs is to say, Jesus, I am in. You fulfilled the Passover, but I willingly accept that if you call me to suffer in accordance with your will, I will do so. And again, then there's feeding and then there's nourishment. So Jesus has become our Passover lamb to set us free. He's become our true bread, unleavened, so that we're without sin on the inside of us. And then then he's become our deliverance. The Passover was all about getting out of Egypt and getting free from slavery of all of the, the, the... thoughts of Egypt and into the promised land. The Passover, Jesus fulfilling the Passover is to take us out of our spiritual slavery to sin and to the devil and to the world under the power of this world. The Bible says that all, all, of, that all of humanity was under the power of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. But Jesus has come to disarm his power. The fulfillment of the Passover was to get us out of slavery under the power of the enemy and under the power of the indwelling sin and to bring us into the kingdom of the beloved son. 
the promised land of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, wasn't just to bring us out of the slavery of sin, but actually, I love how it says in verse 12 of, uh, of Exodus 12 that he wasn't only just striking the firstborn, but this is what he was doing. I'm executing my judgments upon all the gods of Israel. In other words, I'm going to show Egypt, sorry, I'm going to show you who truly is God. When I have dominion and authority over all of the enemies of Egypt. Jesus fulfilling the Passover. The Bible, we can see from various passages, I believe, that, the, that Jesus, when he was crucified, when he died, he went, having got the keys of death and Hades, because he says that in Revelation chapter one, he went into Hades, which is the place of the underworld where the people who hadn't yet heard the gospel were, and who, where the enemy was, the place of darkness, and he comes in with the keys of death and Hades and he unlocks Hades and he preaches the gospel and he brings light into the place of darkness and he lets and he takes all the captives that are held captives and he sets them free and he brings us out of that dominion, out of that place of slavery, under the power of the enemy and brings us into his kingdom of love. Whoo! No longer under the power of the enemy. You know that you and I, we are no longer under the power of the enemy. He does not have free reign over us. The only place that he has for us is if we give an open door through sin, through judgment, through bad attitudes. But that is very easy to close. The blood of Jesus can close any door. And so we've become free from slavery to indwelling sin. We've become free from the reign of Satan and his demons. We've been transformed into the promised land of the kingdom in victory, power, authority, abundance, purpose, provision, and power over every false God. Where are you seated? In Christ. We've been singing it this morning. I love that song. We're learning how to be seated, in the, live in the reality of where we already are, which is seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's not that we're triumphalistic. It's not that everything just goes swimmingly and I don't have any challenge. No, it's just when I have a challenge, I overcome because of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the power in his blood. Sin has no hold on me. The devil has no hold on me. The only hold is the hold that I allow him to have because I don't understand what Jesus has done for me in the Passover and fulfilling the Passover. A couple of other effects before we look at the uh, remembrance and move into to, to taking communion together. The other effect is that the Israelites had to eat it together. In other words, there's unity. Paul goes on to say, and we'll look at this in another, another time in 1 Corinthians 11, where there's disunity actually leads to judgment upon the people of God because they're eating communion without discerning the body. There's a moment for each of us as we come to communion, as we remember what God has done, that we're discerning the fact that it's not just for me personally, but it's for all us together. And therefore, we need to recognize each other and stand in unity together. When we take communion, we're celebrating union and reconciliation, reconciliation with God, reconciliation with others, irrespective of creed, color, race, political persuasion, or any other thing that would currently divide us. And then the final thing... Uh, is the pledge of loyalty. Inside the house, what they're saying is, I'm standing for, for Israel. What they were saying was, I'm standing for Israel. I'm not outside the house in Egypt. And there's something about taking communion for us, which is actually a pledge of our loyalty that says, I'm standing in Christ Jesus. This is who I stand for. I am loyal to him and loyal to him alone. 
And we're to do it regularly to remember. So let's turn back to Luke chapter 22. We're to remember. Paul says you, well, every time we take communion, we're, what are we doing? We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns for the ultimate victory. Because what we see now is the fulfillment of Passover in the spiritual realm. We have not yet seen the full manifestation of what Jesus has won for us in putting all of his enemies under his feet. But then, he, so let's come back to Luke chapter 22 uh, and verse uh, 19. He says, do this in remembrance of me. The word, the root word of remember is to bring to mind. It means deliberate recon, recollection done to better appreciate the results or the intended effects of what happened. Active self-promoted recollection, especially as a memorial. You know, I used to play, um, I used to play sport quite a lot when I was younger. In fact, I played field hockey, which in England is a game for guys as well as girls. Actually, I had more injuries playing field hockey than rugby, but anyway... Um, uh, and I remember, you know, I played for university and I, you know, how many of you people, I'm going to say guys, but probably, I don't know if girls do the same as this, but you know, I can remember certain moments, even though I last played my last game of hockey 24 years ago, I can still remember some of the goals that I scored. <laughs> Am I right, guys? That shot that you took, I remember playing for university and I can remember, I can even picture it right now, I can picture the moment where I scored a goal against the England goalkeeper. I'm like, whoa, this guy's the best in the country and I just scored a goal. I remember that. That's something I'm holding on to. <laughs> I can recollect back to th age 13. I can recollect back to age 11 the good moments and the bad moments of my hockey or my rugby career. Right? I just remember them. They sort of come back. I, I, I would say basketball. I'd suck at basketball because I've got no good memories of basketball whatsoever. <laughs> That's why I like hockey, right? What Paul, what Jesus, sorry, what Jesus is saying here is bring to mind, remember all the benefits. Remember what I've done. Remember the intended effects of what I've done. Take it as your own. Experience it. Enjoy it. Don't just remember it from the point of view of, oh, that was good way back then. But actually take it into your life right now and remember it as a, no, that wasn't just for then. That is for now. This is who I am. Actually, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, the word remember is used again. And, and it's used in this context. The writer to the Hebrews is saying, in the legally required sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. In other words, the whole system of the law was set up that they, the ancient Israelites would have to, every year, coming up to the Day of Atonement, actually, where they would remember their sins and then make atonement for those sins. Every time, the, the very nature of having to make a sacrifice reminds you that you're not pure and you're not holy, that there's sin in your life. Here's the thing that Jesus came because he's fulfilled the Passover. There are no more sacrifices required. There's no need to remember sin. There's no need to go over and over the consciousness of your sin, remember, reminding yourself that, you, that you're a sinner. Why? Because Jesus has already made you righteous. And what we're to remember is not our sin, but, but we're to remember by, Hebrews 10, 14 says this, by one sacrifice. He has perfected for all time those who are being perfected. Now that's a strange verse. But what that means is that you and I are righteous but God is working that righteousness out in us to the day when we are fully righteous before him. 
But that doesn't change a one fact that we are not already righteous before him, holy, blameless, and spotless, and above reproach. 1 Corinthians, sorry, Colossians 1, we're above reproach. What are we remembering? When we take communion, we're remembering the Lamb of God that was slain for our sin. We're remembering his covering and his protection. We're remembering the, the, the fact that we are no longer slaves to sin, that the, the leaven on the inside of us is no longer there, that we are unleavened bread. We're remembering that he's brought us out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of the spiritual Egypt, out of slavery to sin and the enemy, and he's brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're remembering the fact that we're united together. We're making a pledge of loyalty to him. We're remembering the goodness of God. We're eating and we're feasting and we're fellowshipping on his very life and substance to us, not just as a theory, but as a reality in the spirit in every given moment of every given day. So here's what I want us to do. Uh, we're going to take communion together. Now, normally, if you're a member of this church, you'll know that we would often go and get into groups of communion. But what I want us to do today is I actually want us to take communion all together. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to go and get a juice and the crackers, and I want you to come back to your seat. You can actually sit down if you want, because Luke 22, I, I noticed this morning, Jesus was reclining at the table. So sitting is fine. You can stand if you want to, but why don't you up? Please don't take an opportunity to talk. It's just that will be plenty of time after the service. Go and get your uh, juice and crackers, symbolic of the body and the, the blood, and bring it back to your chairs, and then we will celebrate and remember the Passover, the spiritual fulfillment of all that Jesus has done for us. So come back to your chairs when you have it. You know, when we're to remember it's not just to remember this was a nice event that happened 2,000 years ago. The remembering is I, am in, I have life right now because of Jesus Christ. He is my Passover lamb right now. There are no more offerings required right now because Jesus' one sacrifice was enough to cover all of my sin and shame and guilt and condemnation and fear and separation and apartness. So I'm going to read Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The first thing I would like us to do before we take the bread and the crackers is actually to do what Jesus did, which is to give thanks. 
Giving thanks actually was always an open door into a miracle that Jesus was about to do. Feeding of the 4,000, feeding of the 5,000. It says he looked up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it. Giving thanks is your doorway to a miracle and the appropriation of all that God has done for us. So I want you just to start to, you can, in your mind, or at, just out loud, if you, it's actually easier to verbalize out loud, just start to give thanks for Jesus as your Passover lamb. Start to give him thanks that he has set you free from sin and death, that he's covered your sin, that he's your protection and your covering, that he's brought you out of the slavery of the enemy into the glorious kingdom, into fruitfulness, into freedom, into the power of the Holy Spirit, into mission, into purpose, into love. Just lift up your voices. Give him thanks. Give him thanks, catch the fire, Raleigh. Give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for fulfilling the Passover so completely for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We proclaim your death and all of its benefits we proclaim that you are coming once again in ultimate victory. Let's just take the cracker and eat it together. As we eat it, as it goes into us, we're actually symbolizing that, it's, that Jesus is nourishment to our bodies, that we're feeding on Christ, that we're fellowshipping with him, that as it goes into us and this cracker becomes one with us, that, we're, it's, that God is now one with us in Christ Jesus, that we are one with Christ in God that your life is hidden with him. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the wine together, the juice together. And we do this in remembrance of you, Lord, not as something far off, but as life to us in this very moment, that, we're, that you are continually conferring the life, the righteousness, the good life, the perfect life of Jesus to our account. And as we take this juice, we remember, we remind ourselves of the effect of the blood of Jesus, which is to put us into a position of adoption as sons, in a horizontal position, unable to do anything about it except receive that position of sonship and perfection in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the new covenant. You know, that new covenant, we'll unpack this another time, but it's the new covenant where we get to know him. He writes his law in our hearts where we're full with him and he takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. That is what he's already done. And so we remember you, Lord. I want to invite you to stand actually now, if you would, please. And if you feel comfortable with this, I want you to lift up your hands and just start to worship him. Say, thank you, Jesus. We worship you for your sacrifice, for your goodness for your kindness, for your mercy. Thank you that there are no more sacrifices required. There are no more sacrifices required. John 6, people come and say, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus' response is this, believe in him who he sent. 
All you need to do is to believe, to stand in Christ, to remain, to abide in the power and the majesty and the protection of Christ Jesus. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You are seated with him right now in heavenly places, full of power and authority, full of victory, full of the authority of heaven, carrying the voice of God. The Lord woke me up this morning as I was preparing. He took me to Psalm 29. Psalm 29 is all about the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord, multiple places all the way through the psalm, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. The voice of the Lord strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. And because we're in Christ Jesus, God has given us his voice to use in accordance with his will, but carrying the same power and authority. There's a couple of things I feel like the Holy Spirit is just saying. The first thing, Dominic, in the first service, he had this sense that it came over and over and over again that, that there were some people, at least one person that had been struggling with prostate enlargement. Maybe it's pre-cancer, maybe it's prostate cancer. The Lord wants to bring healing right now by the blood of Jesus. And for um, the, the other one was blood disorders. The Lord wants to give you a blood transfusion to bring the blood of Jesus to set you free from that blood disorder. The third one was tinnitus in the ears or something to do with the ears. Any, and to be honest, any sickness in our bodies has already been paid for and won by the blood of Jesus. So if that's you and you're struggling with any, any sickness right now, I want you to put your hand up and wave at me. Okay, church, you have the voice of the Lord, which is powerful and full of glory because you are one with Christ and you have been united with Him and you are in Him and He is in you and you carry His authority. So here's what I want us to do. Anybody that's around those people with their hands up, Ask them what's wrong and then don't pray. Make a declaration of healing. Release the power of God that's in your voice because you are already one with Christ. Look, look around, there's some people that I can still see with nobody around them. Wave your hand if you don't have anybody praying for you. Guys, open your eyes if you're praying and just, you know, if you're not busy with somebody else, Amber's down here. Then listen, to just start to declare breakthrough. Start to declare healing. Listen, we want to see the full blood, the thing that Jesus has paid for. We want to receive the fullness of that. All the curse of Egypt comes off you now in Jesus' name. All the curse of sickness comes off you now in Jesus' name. We loose sickness in you now in Jesus' name. We take authority over the stronghold spirits of infirmity and we pull them off you right now in Jesus' name. And we release the life and the glory of heaven into your bodies right now. And we declare the full release of the blood of Jesus, that which he's paid for, to come into you now in Jesus' name and to, be, to release off, 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 go. Sickness, go. Sickness, go now. In Jesus' name, come off the people of God, come off the saints, come off the holy ones, come off in Jesus' name. Okay, ask them to check it. 
If anyone's had any, any shift, just give me a wave. Okay, keep declaring it. This is the next thing I, I really felt like God wanted to do. Is I feel like some of us in this room have something against another person in this room that's causing disunity. That the blood of Jesus has made a way for you to be united. And I want to encourage you. I felt the prompting of the Spirit as we've taken communion together. I want to encourage you to be reconciled. Duncan shared last week about going, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him and be reconciled. Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you know that someone has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. There's no escape. Be reconciled. Let the blood of Jesus bring you reconciliation.